By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Emerging Markets Decoded. I'm your host for today, Ariane Ortiz-Bolling, Credit Officer for Latin America of the Credit Strategy and Research Team in New York. Today, we'll focus on Latin America, starting with Peru's political crisis, how it has impacted the sovereign's credit quality, credit conditions in the country, and what it tells us about the nature of political and social tensions that have recently erupted across Latin America. We'll also discuss recent sovereign defaults in Argentina. For this, I'm joined by my colleagues Jaime Roche from our sovereign team in New York and also the lead analyst for Peru and Argentina's uh, sovereigns, among others, and Valeria Asconegui, head of credit standards for Moody's Local, who's joining us from Buenos Aires today. Please note that views expressed by Valeria in today's episode reflect Moody's local views and not those of Moody's investor service. Jaime, Valeria, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to be here, Adrian. A really pleasure. Thanks for inviting us. Now, it's been a, a busy January for both of you, I gather, in a very noisy region, after all. it's It's been quite busy with a lot of rating actions, yes. Now, Jaime, let's get right into this. So there have been protests and unrest in Peru following the failed coup attempt by former President Castillo. They began in early December and they still linger. Now, what does this mean for the sovereign's credit quality? Well, we recently changed the outlook on Peru's BAA1 rating to negative from stable. And this really reflected our view that both social and political risks are intensifying in the country. And with that intensification of risks, uh, there could be a deterioration in institutional cohesion, in governability, in policy effectiveness, and then over the longer term, in economic strength. Now, Jaime, Peru is really no stranger to political turmoil. And for many years, markets and Peru watchers have gotten used to this and have really been able to dissociate the political noise from the economic performance and have really dismissed it as political noise. But it looks like this time is really different. So can you explain to us why? It is different. And, and the reason is that the political noise morphed into political instability and now more recently into these social protests where you we're starting to see a lot more violence. There used to not be any violence whenever Peruvians protested or whenever there was you know some movement in the social political environment. Um, this time, it, it seems that there's a greater intensity with which these these protests and the political instability is manifesting itself. And and the other point is that um, it, it's not likely to be a short-lived crisis. Uh, in the past, typically you've seen a very quick resolution. In fact, in, in November and December of 2020, um, the country went through three presidents in the span of a week. And there were social protests that brought down one of those three presidents. But as soon as the president stepped down, the, the social protests immediately ceased and they were fairly orderly. There wasn't this degree of violence. So that that's what's telling us that this is really morphing into something more than what we've seen in the past. And, and with that, 
we see an intensifying environment of, of risks. That's really interesting. And so I guess that what you were saying is that it doesn't necessarily affect the operating environment or rather the economic growth performance and the fiscal performance, or will it affect that? Well, so far it hasn't affected fiscal performance. And, and this is a, a country that has been defined by their responsible fiscal management. In fact, that's, that's really what's anchoring the rating at the moment at BAA1, despite these protests, that, that you have very prudent fiscal management. That has continued. We don't think that that is going to be affected at the moment. And I gather then that we cannot really rule out the possibility that this political crisis can drag and then impact the policymaking process, governability, and eventually the macrofiscal framework, which has really been the anchor of the rating. So I understand that if we go from one weak government to another, eventually it has to impact the, the operating environment. Now, Valeria, what does all this unrest mean for the credit conditions more broadly in the country? The social unrest came at a time when credit conditions had already begun to deteriorate in the world and also in Peru, with high inflation and weaker external demand. This unrest is somehow exacerbating this worsening operating environment in certain sectors. In the short term, the challenging operating environment in Peru will affect economic growth in some sectors and adding inflationary pressures, diminishing banks and companies' profits. Protests and roadblocks on food and some services, largely in the south of the country, which account for around 16% of Peru's total GDP, have affected producer conditions and impacted prices. Companies in some sectors of the economy, such as mining, agriculture, tourism and leisure, will be more affected than others. Credit fundamental for mining companies will deteriorate from historically high levels in early 2022, but relatively high prices will hold and support credit quality. Liquidity for agriculture companies, on the other hand, will tighten amid higher working capital requirements because of cost pressures. Finally, banks and finance uh, companies with exposure to the affected sectors and exposure to borrowers located in the most affected areas of the country might foresee some deterioration in their asset quality profiles and lesser lending growth in the coming month. All these great implications will worsen if the current turmoil lasts longer. So Valeria, I gather that even though the social unrest is concentrated only in the south of the country, it can affect certain sectors, particularly those that are more exposed in this area, like uh, agriculture and tourism, for example. And then it's, it's really exacerbating the worsening credit conditions that we see in many emerging markets and, and especially in Peru. So now that we understood what happened in, in Peru and how we think this affects credit conditions, both for the sovereign and for the rest of the country, can you tell us how this is similar or different from what is happening in Brazil? That's an interesting point, Ariane, because in Brazil, you're right to point out that on January 8th, um, there were protests throughout the country um, by a sector of the population that was rejecting the election results, the recent election. And they, they did take over uh, the Congress building and some of the judiciary buildings in rejection to President Lula winning the election. Um, but this, this was a little bit different from Peru in the sense that this, this showed that there is political polarization in the country, 
but it doesn't seem to be as long-lived or persistent as what we're seeing in Peru. I, I think that here in Brazil, it was, the crisis was resolved relatively quickly. It was resolved with minimal violence. And as a result, you, know, you, you have social order once again reestablished. And it's not, that's not the case in, in Peru. So there are elements of political polarization in Peru, but it's different. It's a lot more complex, the issues that they're dealing with. Valeria, would you agree with Jaime on this? I would fully agree with Jaime, really. We saw January 8 event in Brazil as an isolated event, and we do not anticipate the material impact on rated banks, corporate, or projects in Brazil. However, we have to keep in mind that all these entities are already facing uh, an operating environment of economic deceleration and high policy rates that add pressure to their business prospects and revenues in the coming months together with some concerns uh, of politi potential political intervention. Banks and finance companies are facing relatively high delinquency levels amid lower lending growth and high interest rate that produce profitability. And we really think that this trend will continue. On the other hand, uh, the continuous high uh, rate environment continues to put pressure on companies' interest expense and banks' funding sources, raising refinancing risks. This environment could discourage investment somehow and business prospect in the short and medium term, but definitely it's not the result of political unrest, as was the case in Peru. Thank you. This is quite helpful. So there is a similar element of political polarization in Peru, like in Brazil, but in Peru it goes deeper than that, right? Because as we talked earlier in Peru, there's political noise that is getting louder, and then it's, it could turn into political instability and then hinder governability and policy effectiveness. And that is not really what's happening in Brazil. In Brazil, this was more the aftershock of a very contested election that really is just underscoring how divided the country is and, and how much misinformation and distrust there was out there, but it's not really affecting directly the government's credit quality, which is really the case in, in Peru. And so he, listening to you, Valeria, I take that in Brazil, really the, the risk is on lower growth, potentially higher fiscal spending, changes in, in government policies that can affect the way sectors operate. Now, let me switch gears and turn into one of the lower-rated sovereigns in LATAM, which has been on the news lately, and that's Argentina. Argentina recently went through a distressed debt exchange, or in other words, a default. So, Jaime, can you tell us what happened and why do we consider it a default? So Argentina on January 18th announced that they were going to be buying back some of their international global bonds. Uh, they, they, they mentioned that they would be buying approximately a billion dollars um, out of approximately 67 billion that they have outstanding in, in global bonds um, of their 2029 and 2030 bonds, which are coming due um, within the next few years. I'll be honest, we were quite surprised by the announcement. Um, given that these bonds are trading at very distressed prices. They're tra trading at around 30 to 35 cents on the dollar. And um, we, we were expecting a tender offer to come out. Usually when a sovereign announces that they're going to be repurchasing their, their bonds, there is a lot more documentation supporting what they're going to do, why, what, which, one, which bonds they're going to target, and at what prices and when. Here, there was no tender offer. So they simply went into directly into the markets and started buying back their bonds to support these bond prices. 
we look at every buyback on a case-by-case -case basis. So not every bond buyback is a distressed exchange. It really depends. In Argentina's case, given the very low rating and the lack of clarity on the objective of what the buyback was trying to achieve, as I mentioned a moment ago, this event did meet our criteria of what a distressed exchange is and therefore was considered a default under our definition. Usually when people think of default, they think of non-payment. Here, actually quite the opposite. The, the country was paying its bonds already. The price at which they were buying back their bonds represented a loss relative to the original promise. And for us, that constitutes a default whenever there is a loss to investors relative to the original promise, which is buying back the bonds at 100% of their face value. Interesting. Thank you, Jaime. And it sounds that maybe we'll see more distress exchange in other countries as well with the very high rates, right? It can become an attractive option for other governments or entities that are facing high rates out there, and it could be a, a way to reduce their, their debt in these current conditions. So let's, let's keep an eye on other uh, lower-rated uh, countries out there that, that may be using uh, distress exchange as a way to reduce their debt. Well, it was a pleasure really to have you both here. Thank you so much for coming, and thank you to our listeners for joining us. If you have any comments or feedback, please feel free to email us at empodcast@moody's.com. And until next time, stay safe. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.